gospel passage today is found in the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go up and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then, gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So, which fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who shows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we come before you and we want to glorify your name. We want to hear from your word and in hearing that we would learn of your character. And of learning of your character that we would seek to obey you in all things. Follow after you with all that we have. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. We have another parable today to look at in the book of Matthew. Last week, Aaron uh, talked at some length about what a parable is, so I won't go as in-depth, but I'll give a little bit of a background. Uh, parable, or mishal, uh, as we read today, even um, a quotation from the book of Psalm, Psalm 78, when that was first written, a parable, a mishal, was simply an utterance, a statement given by someone. 
you find it most in the book of Numbers, probably. It's just all of, all of the story of Balaam and Balak. There are other entities, one to another. However, this is a different period. This is the second temple period, and as such, the definition of the word parable changed. Yes, that can happen in languages. Um, words change what they mean. And so you come to the parable here, and it's a very specific type of literature. A parable is always spoken in Hebrew. It's not spoken in Aramaic or Greek or any of the other local languages. Now, you can go around the world and there are stories that seem like parables, but a parable by definition was in Hebrew and it was general. It wasn't about the land of Israel, but about a land, people. Not Israelites, not Gentiles, but people. However, today, we also think, because of certain passages in Scripture, that parables were taught to hide something. Uh, you have two passages, one in Mark and one in Matthew, uh, that seem perhaps to imply that a parable was taught to hide the truth. Okay, I don't want to go against what Scripture said, except every other instance of parables, it was supposed to convey truth, to teach something to people in a way that they could understand it. And in fact, I would argue that the passages in Mark and Matthew might also, especially in light of the passage we just read, I will other things hidden since the creation of the world, implying that it's no longer hidden, that it's revealed. And in both Mark and Matthew, it's quoting Isaiah, as saying, people, they have ears, but they do not hear. Right? They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have hands, but they do not go and serve. They have legs, but they do not walk justly. And of course, Isaiah went out when he was teaching. He gave very plain messages. Repent. God will do this. God will do that. And yet, with these very clear messages, people still have ears, but they do not hear. And with parables, you have the same thing. It's meant to reveal something, and it does. But also you will find people who have ears and do not hear. That's why you have the end of the passage is, whoever has ears, let them hear. So even, the, even though the parable is to teach, we need to actually learn what is being taught. Having said that, let's get into the actual parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who showed good seed in his field. There are going to be five characters in this parable. 
The first one is this man who is going to go out and he's going to take good heed and plant it in good ground and it will produce wheat, which Aaron talked about from the parable of last week. Who is this man? Well, it's God. Or, in this particular case, more specifically, the Son of Man, who we will discover through other passages is God. But let's leave it as the Son of Man. And Jesus declared multiple times that that is him. He is the Son of Man. Uh, the Son of Man coming out of the book of Daniel, chapter 7, who is in authority, on a throne, in heaven, next to God Almighty. So this is the first character, Jesus. And the kingdom of heaven is this, what this parable is going to be about. And he's planting good seed. This is the second character. And who is that? Hopefully, that's you and me. That's what we want. We want to be the good seed that Jesus has planted in good ground. We may come to that a little bit more in depth later. But this parable is about the kingdom of heaven and you find another two characters who perhaps we don't want to be in a parable about the kingdom of heaven. After all, the kingdom of heaven is great, it's good, it's wonderful. Oh, and Satan's in it. And Satan comes along, the, the evil one, the adversary, the one without a yoke, the one who is um, the father of chaos, all of these different names attached to him, a created being who God created, but still pride took hold of him and he rebelled. And Satan will come and in this parable about the kingdom of heaven, Satan is going to plant other seeds also into this good ground. It's not going onto the wayside as Aaron's parable was last week, right? It's not on the road. It's not in the thorns. It's not in the shallow ground. It's in the good ground that Jesus also planted in. Doesn't sound good. It's not something that we want to think about. And you come to the fourth character then. These weeds that are growing in the middle of the wheat right in our midst. We have what are called the children of the evil one. I'm going to read a few passages that might sound familiar. Matthew chapter 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And you come to this famous verse, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We have another passage, John, Second John. Verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, right, a form of Gnosticism, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. And finally, we have another passage which you might be less familiar with. It's from the Didache, which is a first slash second century um, AD teaching, the teachings of the apostles, uh, which dealt with many problems at the time of its writing. And it's actually a, a great book to read if you have not done so yet. Didache chapter 11, verse 5, or 4, really. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, he will remain one day, and if it is necessary, a second. But if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. Wow, that's pretty rough. Three days, you're a false prophet. You're out, out, out. Let the apostle, when departing, take nothing but bread until he arrive at his resting place. But if he asks for money, he is a false prophet out. Pretty harsh. Now it does in chapter 13 mention that a worker deserves his wage, so it's not foregoing that altogether. But this was a problem that they had. People would travel and they'd be like, hi, I'm teaching the word of God. Money, please. <laughs> but not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet. Sorry, I'm, I'm translating this as I go because it's in King James English and I, I'm having trouble translating this one. So I'll just read it. Not everyone who speaketh in the spirit is a prophet, but he is so who hath the disposition of the Lord. Sorry about that. By their disposition, how they act, they therefore shall be known the false prophet and the prophet. You can have someone who's speaking in the Spirit 
and yet still be a false prophet. How did Jesus come to us? Humble as a servant. Humble as one who, though being equal with God, not considering it robbery to be equal with God, he humbled himself and became a servant like us and went to his death on the cross. And when he saw those who were poor, those who were widows, those who were sick, he chose to help them. Right? You have all of these teachings throughout the Gospels showing us who Jesus is, what the character of Jesus is, and if we aren't following that character, even though we speak in tongues, even though we speak prophecy, even though we speak in the Spirit, well, we're a false prophet. And I can't tell you how annoying that gets here in Jerusalem. Because there's not a week that goes by when someone doesn't come into our property and start prophesying. And many times it is not accompanied by the disposition, as this particular translation would write, the disposition of the Lord, the character of God. And what's more, the vast majority of the time, it just doesn't happen anyways. They proclaim something, and it doesn't happen, which statistically you'd think occasionally they'd get something right. But they never seem to. And it's frustrating to us because we work here and we serve here, and we go out. You hear about people taking uh, individuals to the, um, the Ministry of the Interior, right? They drive them there, they walk them there to serve. You hear about people who um, fix someone's fan because it's broken. You hear about people who take their time to serve and then you look on the TV and it's like, oh, so-and-so, he just had two million people watch his video that have absolutely nothing to do with God, nothing to do with truth, and nothing to do with a person who is walking faithfully with God. And it's annoying when someone comes in and you've been talking to someone for years, if not decades, and you've been trying to serve them and this person comes in to the compound and starts yelling and screaming about something about God. And all you feel like, all the work that you've been putting into this person for decades is gone. Because, for instance, we have a local policeman that is right outside our door and he comes in all the time and we have people who talk with him and converse with him and give their testimony with him 
And then we have to call them and say, hi, we have another Christian here that needs to be physically removed from our compound. Well, that's a great testimony, isn't it? And it frustrates us. Why are there these false prophets, false teachers, false people in our midst? Why can't we just, you know what? There's something in the Bible about this. If you're a false prophet, guess what I get to do? Well, there's a stone. There's the person. Hi. You can leave or, you know, I'm American. I can throw things pretty well. So let's come to the fifth character. Who, the, who is the fifth character? The angels. The angels who we talk about in the supernatural realm, never mind that they are created by God, just like us, and the world around us, which, to be fair, I would also proclaim that that was a supernatural act. So, sure. And the angels who are strong, mighty, able to do wondrous things. But they don't know everything. And they are only able to do what God gives them to do. Which one might argue also is something that God tells us. So let's briefly go to Genesis 28 what we read earlier. Jacob, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. Now, when the Jewish people read this, they read so carefully that they note, where do the angels start? On earth. Where do they go? To heaven. And then they come back. They start here. We're like, that's weird. Wouldn't they be in heaven? But what do angels do? Let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 1. Yeah. Hopefully I didn't need that. I did need that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? God sent the angels to serve us. 
which is pretty cool if you think about it. So they've been sent here on earth and perhaps they go back to heaven and they report and they say, ah, this guy's doing pretty well. Good, excellent. You know, this guy might need a little bit of intercession. Might want to start thinking about praying for him, coming and interceding for him. You know, my guy, he just, he ran away from God for so long, but I have good news. He's returned, and all of heaven goes, yes! Hallelujah! The one who is lost has come back. And then the angel comes back because he's still supposed to serve. Might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but... On the other hand, maybe not. We see actually some similar situations throughout the Bible. We come to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. talking about the revealed word. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. The angels themselves wanted to know what had been revealed to men. Presumably, because they did not know it themselves. And so we come back to the parable, and we have these five characters, and what are the angels saying? The workers of God who minister in the fields, who do not know everything, Sir, didn't you show good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go up, go out and pull them up? That's the angel's response. Should we take care of this for you? I mean, it's the kingdom of heaven, and we have, well, we have a few good people. But there's so many children of, of the enemy. Why don't we just clear the board and try again? Get the kingdom of heaven right this time. Correct. No. He replied. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. We have all these people who come in our doors and we get frustrated and we get even, dare say it, sinfully angry at times. And we look around and I'm sure most of us can think of a pastor or a leader who has harmed them personally or perhaps not quite personally but close enough, 
you hear these newspaper articles, you watch these uh, TV articles, whatever they're called. I don't know what TV is anymore. It's all on the computer. Um, you watch these YouTube uh, channels, and they talk about how this pastor is a pedophile. And that leader of the church, male or female, committing adultery. And I was in a church where the leader, nothing big, right? Just pride. Pride. He worked for 20-some years to build up his church, and he had done a good job. And he had a good church, and it was growing, and it was serving, and it was doing everything right. And he tore it apart because he had pride. That's all it took. He didn't want to listen to other people. He didn't want to take advice. He didn't want to see what the different options were. And it tore the church apart. Thankfully, being a church of God, it recovered. But we look around us and we know that these things exist, that these people are in our midst. And as a reminder, right, as a reminder, Good trees can only bear good fruit, and bad trees can only bear bad fruit. So before we look at everybody else, let's look at ourselves. Am I bearing good fruit? Was I planted in good soil by the enemy? It's a good question to ask. But why do we open the Word of God? Why do we have someone stand up here who's not a natural speaker talk for 30 minutes? Because when we open the Word of God, we want to learn the character of God. And regardless of what I say tonight, the character of God is shown right here. How many of us would love for Jesus to return tomorrow? Woohoo! Hallelujah! Lord Jesus, come quickly. I agree. But look around you. Because there are people who disagree. They have children who do not know God. They have husbands and wives who do not know God. They have neighbors who do not know the love of God. And we read, if I can read it, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. 
think of a date. We are people who come through this gate every week and they say, in 2012, Jesus will return. Well, that was a while ago. But think about, I know for a fact there are people in this room who if Jesus had returned in 2012, they would not be in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, it's 2000. I remember during the first Gulf War, people were like, oh, Saddam Hussein, Babylon. What? There's a date in my life. Yeah, I can give it because it shows how old I am. 88, right? In 88, if Jesus had returned, I would not know him for who he is. For each of us, there's a time when we would not know God. And what do we learn of the character of God? Do you want us to go and pull it up? No. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. I lost one of my notes. Where is that? First Peter or Second Peter? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And most of us know this verse. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by a fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare and most of us know that verse as well but they are literally one right after the other you do not have one without the other jesus will return and we will declare later messiah has died messiah is risen messiah will come again and we can say that in hope and faith But if God has the character to be patient and long-suffering, perhaps, perhaps we should also learn this trait. We too should look around and instead of being angry at all these people who come to us, Instead of asking for God to wait to prove that their prophecy is in fact incorrect like we knew all along. To wait because perhaps this person will learn of who their God is. We have a reading written. Just a couple hundred years before Jesus, 150 years before Jesus. Wisdom of Solomon. 
And it is what I want to end with in a prayer. So please pray with me. There is no God besides you whose care is for all people, to whom you should prove that you have not judged unjustly, for your strength is the source of righteousness and your sovereignty over all causes you to spare all. For you show your strength when people doubt the completeness of your power and you rebuke any insolence among those who know it. Although you are sovereign in strength, you judge with mildness and with great forbearance you govern us. For you have power to act whenever you choose. Through such works you have taught your people that the righteous must be kind and you have filled your children with good hope because you give repentance for our sins. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.